when it comes to adversity, it's about disruption. So it disrupts the ways in which we normally do things, the ways in which we normally think about things, all of that gets turned upside down. That's Jolie Wills. She's a cognitive scientist and disaster relief specialist, and she wants us to rethink how we deal with disasters. In 2011, Jolie lived through New Zealand's worst earthquake on record. We had 90%, so nine out of 10 homes and apartments damaged or destroyed in our city. And then we had 15,000 aftershocks over the period of five Ugh. years, which changes the way you live. It changes everything about how you live and operate and work. Disaster is the last place where most people would see opportunity. Disasters are awful, but Jolie thinks there may be a chance for renewal in the life-changing act of survival. The beauty of it is that pressure and adversity create these amazing conditions for growth. So as painful as it can be to discard these old ways that aren't working, there's this amazing potential for growth. On this episode, Jolie tells us about living through the Christchurch earthquake and how it inspired her to start a company called Hummingly that creates tools and training to help people and organizations perform under pressure. Jolie also shares the cognitive science of disaster response and why all sorts of adversity can be fertile ground for growth. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations and best of all, we show you how. Well, welcome, Jolie. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy. Thank you for joining us on The Breakout. Before you even speak, I'm going to warn our listeners, you have what was rated the number one accent in the world from New Zealand. By I think it was Lonely Planet, rated all the accents, did their little survey. You have the most lovely. So, oh no pressure, no pressure. Thank you. For, <laughs> thanks for having me. And and you know the most pleasant accent versus something that someone can understand maybe two different things. <laughs> you are correct. It wasn't about comprehension. It was about what sounds the loveliest on, on people's ears. So that is right. Okay. Well, let's just jump in. We know you're in New Zealand. What is Hummingly, the company that you started, and what do you do? So we came from disaster. That's our background. So I'm now based in Denver, Colorado. But yes, you know, we have worked in disasters all over the globe. But one of the biggest challenges that we always have working in a disaster environment is how to sustain people and performance under pressure. And so in today's world, you know, organisations don't need to be facing a disaster to be experiencing pressure. And so what we've done is we've really packaged up some of the answers to all of that into workshops in a box, into these team activity subscriptions and these tools, which are card packs. One thing I've learned to say with my accent is packs, not decks. So that's, so card <laughs> packs. I will try to remember that as we go through. It's a very different podcast. It's a very different <laughs> it is, podcast it if is. you say yeah. card yeah. decks. Yeah, so yeah. card packs, I will try to remember that. <laughs> but basically, it's all about um, setting leaders and teams up to do really well under pressure. 
and and that's just going to be really really vital to be successful in the world that we now operate in. Yeah, and there's like you mentioned, it doesn't have to be a big capital like D disaster. There's still these small things that happen. So in the breakout, we talk about breaking out of expectations and breaking out of boxes. And so, how do you help? You help them kind of break out of what when it comes to disaster. I I just love that question. I think, you know, and it's not even about disaster, it's just about pressure. You know, there's plenty of pressure in the Mm. environment that we're working in, in all organisations right now. And when the pressure's on or when maybe people are facing adversity, that's when we find that things get exposed, right? Some of the things that we're complacent about or we drift through or we just rely on, it might be the ways that we operate, it might be the stories we tell ourselves, it might be just the assumptions we have about the world. And so the way that we've always approached things, you know, often these things don't work when we're really under pressure. And when we're forced to abandon things and do things differently, that's what we're really helping people break out of the box with. Our old ways of thinking, our old ways of viewing the world and ourselves. And The beauty of it is that pressure and adversity create these amazing conditions for growth. So as painful as it can be to discard these old ways that aren't working, there's this amazing potential for growth. And when it comes down to organisations, we're also trying to get organisations to break out of the the old ways of supporting well-being and resilience and performance that we know just don't work. We talk a lot about shedding expectations, and this is not easy work. Change isn't so easy, and those pressure situations really bring out your, what my professor used to say, your true cultural programming. Yes. (laughs) And so what's kind of in you. Yeah. And you got to really examine it or else it can, it can just overwhelm you. Yeah. And we're often not even aware of what those things are, you know. Right. Until you're under the pressure of, you know, coal under pressure becomes a diamond or something like that. Exactly. It's cheesy, but it's kind of true. It is. (laughs) Yeah. And I I wouldn't think that's an easy, comfortable process. No, (laughs) But it's it's worth it in the end. (laughs) Yeah. I was listening to someone talk about the the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And they're like, that cocoon is not an easy place. It's not like they're just sitting there. It's a kind of a violent thing that goes on in that transformation. So we know it from nature. We know it from making diamonds. We know it as people. This is tough stuff. So what were you doing then before all this? I'm a cognitive scientist, so I've, I've really long been interested in the connection between stress and pressure and performance. And I come from a background working in the mental health sector, the disability sector, the older person sector. And then Christchurch is my home city in New Zealand, and we had this devastating series of earthquakes. And just to give you a bit of a sense, you know, we had our central business district, our downtown was cordoned off for more than two years for demolition you know, like devoid of people under military guard. And then we had, um, you know, 90%, so nine out of 10 homes and apartments damaged or destroyed in our city. And then we had 15,000 aftershocks over the period of five years, which changes the way you live. You know, they are life-threatening. One claimed the lives of 185 people. So if you're a parent, you can no longer let your kid just run one aisle over in the supermarket and grab a bottle of milk. You know, it changes everything about how you live and operate and work. We've experienced a lot of that, you know, disruption, having to innovate routines, all of those things we've experienced um, with COVID and everything that we've seen the last few years. So 
that's the background is that suddenly we found ourselves in a disaster situation. Um, my co-founder Elizabeth had worked in disasters all over the globe prior to this and we were leading a team of people who had this really vital role to play in rebuilding the city you know, and supporting its population through the process. And for us, you know, as a cognitive scientist, I, I knew that they were going to be under pressure for, for not just days or weeks or even months, but for years. And we needed to find a way to sustain them and their performance. But all the things that we threw at this team just weren't, the approaches weren't working when the pressure was on. So we had to find a new way. And that led to some global research. It led to 10 years of, of designing, trying different things, really designing for supporting well-being and resilience and performance of people under pressure. That's where it all started. What wasn't working that you thought maybe would have worked in the past? So things like messaging around self-care, like, don't get me wrong, it, it is vitally important. But on the flip side, it's just one piece of the puzzle. Um, and I often tell a story to help illustrate this as part of our, our research. I interviewed someone who'd been through wildfires in Australia in a role where she um, was working for local government. And I said to her, how do you explain to people the challenges of still being in this pressured, disrupted environment, you know, a year or two in? And she said, well, it's like being asked to carry this increasing load of bricks. She said, I had bricks before this big disruption occurred. You know, my role's not all that easy. You know, there's never enough resources for the demand of the things that we need to do. You know, it's a political environment. There's also, you know, challenging customers or, you know, clientele being some challenging community members and dynamics in a community. She said, but on top of that, you know, I've, I've got aging parents, I've got, you know, kids in logistics, I've got financial concerns, so I kind of had a full plate. And she said, and then all this disruption occurred and suddenly every brick that I had became much, much heavier, you know, and much more complicated and there were a whole lot of other bricks added. And a lot of people can relate to this over the last few years where you look around and everybody's mm -hmm. kind of loaded up mm -hmm. and there's no easy way of distributing those bricks. But the key for her was when her manager came to her and said, and I can see you're carrying a lot. I can see it. It's really important that you look after yourself. Now, please practice self-care. Do your best to look after yourself, which is a really important message. But in right. the next breath, next breath, the manager says, but I need five more things done urgently by the end of the week. Right. So I think that messaging around self-care, while it's really important, it's not all about the person, the individual, but how as an organisation do we manage some of that and support people? And the self-care piece, like, Honestly, we can message till we're blue in the face, but people are like, I know that I need to look after myself. And right now it just feels like something else to be guilty about. So helping people bridge that gap between knowing it and actually being able to put it in place when the pressure's on has been something that we've really specialised in in the last few years. How did you help then those who were in the Christchurch disaster for so long? What were some of the messages and, and how did you help them through it? Part of it first was equipping leaders We've got this an amazing awareness of the importance of supporting the well-being, resilience and performance of people under pressure. Leaders get that. But then there's the step around just that question of, I get that this is important, but how do I do this? So helping leaders understand um, the organisational component. So we talk about triple responsibility. Yes, to the self-care and the individual piece, and we can help. But also at, there's a piece around the team level and there's a piece around the organisational level. So, you know, equipping them to, to support their people, but also sustain their leadership. 
And then as a team, with these teams thinking, actually when the pressure's on, when we're all very tired, we're often not at our best selves. And that's when we see these team dynamics play out that just add to stress rather than service as a support for each other. So equipping teams to understand what each of us look like under pressure and what is helpful and how we can be good supports to each other when we're tired and fractious. And then at the individual level, helping find strategies that people can put in place that are doable even when the pressure's on. When they're under stress and in these situations, how does it challenge their own kind of assumptions, the stories they're telling themselves? What happens in my head when I'm under these stressful situations? There's a bit of a pattern that we see play out for people, um, especially when they're going through something really big and prolonged. So we can think about COVID, we can think about disaster, or we can think just about adversity of any kind that someone might be facing. And what we tend to see, especially when it's a collective thing, like we've seen with COVID, is this initial upsurge of energy and support um, with everybody really focusing. We have this common challenge. It is hard. We might not have had a whole lot in common, but suddenly we have this thing in common that becomes part of our conversation. It's a challenge that we are suddenly in together. And so we tend to pull together and have a whole lot of energy and effort and support come together at this point. But what we tend to see is that when it comes to adversity, it's about disruption. So it disrupts the ways in which we normally do things, the ways in which we normally think about things, all of that gets turned upside down. So if you think about COVID, the way in which we parented, the way in which we lived, the way in which we worked and connected, all of that kind of got turned upside down. And those routines, they normally save us this brain space and energy. And when you're having to innovate on on all of those fronts and you're managing your own emotions, it's always longer and harder than we think. So it becomes this big energy depletion exercise. And so you hit this point where you're having to innovate constantly, you're really tired, and suddenly the things that served you before or maybe were there hidden but didn't really get in your way really surface. So you get people asking, well, is this the job that I want to be in now? Is this the the people that I want to be living with now? Is this where I want to be located and how I want to live? So suddenly you get these big existential questions emerge. It's like you're holding a mirror up to some of the assumptions and the ways that you think and operate that you've never had to do before. And so you're suddenly examining them. And then at the other end, the amazing potential for growth. It does force you to think about why I'm here and what are the things that I'm holding dear that I might not even know that I am. I'm thinking of how many divorces over COVID or something. I'm, I'm supposed to be married because that's what I do and I need to have this job and this marriage. And then all of a sudden it all upends and you're forced to really think about it. And you're not forced when you're in a routine and you do the same thing every day. You don't have to think. It's a routine for a reason. Perhaps to routine. Routine keeps you kind of um, in a holding pattern. And so when you are forced to innovate constantly and think differently and do differently, um, it does put you in a, in a bit of a, a position of saying, hmm, if I can do this, what else could I do? What else is out there? And it leads to potentially a more satisfying life. We often don't talk about post-traumatic growth. 
and that's that more than half of people will experience growth in some form. It often comes from examining and readjusting some of those assumptions and ways of operating that just weren't helpful. The whole point of our podcast and what Kelly and I writing our book about is that breaking through, right? Yeah. And it's better on the other side. And so you have, we call it, it's better on the other side, Julie, but you have a very official scientific post-traumatic growth. Yes. <laughs> so please talk to us about that. I think the really important thing to highlight is that it can feel like a long way off or impossible when you're in a really tough spot. If you're in that tough spot and you're exhausted and you're tired and you're finding it hard to hold onto that optimism, then know that it doesn't mean that you're off track and it doesn't mean that good things aren't ahead. It's a painful part of the process. But at the other end, it's amazing how you can have more confidence in your strength and ability to survive and endure and handle you know, adversity and things that come your way. So people, you know, have this awareness of their strengths and appreciation for it at the other end. The ways at which they viewed the world and thought that they fit in it get turned upside down. So spiritually, it may be a faith thing or it may be just where we fit in the world and how we view ourselves in the world can really change and be strengthened. Another is around our social connections and our relationships. You know, there's, there's a, it's amazing what can happen in terms of some may cleave, but others, you know, those social connections really get people through. And it's amazing yeah. what you discover and uncover on the way to growth. When you were doing all this, when did you think this is a business instead of it just this is just a one off thing that we're helping people through one or two disasters? And then you went, no, 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 this is like an entire business. Yeah, it started for us in the, the frustration of seeing the same challenges play out again and again in other places and other disasters initially. So that idea that, you know, under prolonged pressure, we were burning people out and that wasn't okay. And people were really struggling with that and seeing the impacts on both the people, but also organizational impacts, impacts on your mission, on the things that you're trying to achieve, on the people that you're trying to serve. And we would see that play out again and again. So for us, it initially started with, well, how do we package this up, all this hard-won learning, and make it available in other disasters? And that's where we started. And then it became, actually, this is really helpful. We were starting to get a pull and a call from others that were in sectors that were under strain or going through change. Jolie and her co-founder, Elizabeth, found that their work was crucial in helping the agricultural sector navigate change, as well as the healthcare sector, as it dealt with the aftermath of COVID. And then it became universities, museums, manufacturing companies, just organizations everywhere saying when it comes to leadership development, when it comes to performance and well-being under pressure, when it comes to team cohesion, these are all challenges that organizations everywhere are facing, given the kind of, you know, environments that we're working in now. Yeah. You say it very nicely, given the environments we're working in. I'm like, I would say the giant dumpster fire that is our climate change and all the other pressures. You have enough business, sadly, for like, I don't know how many careers, Jolie. Yeah, it'd be nice for it to be the, going the other way, wouldn't it? It would be nice of like, we've been solving all these and it's coming down instead of going up. You do this great cognitive science research. So what are some of the most amazing kind of tidbits that uh, you've seen when you lead through disasters? Yeah, I think it's, it's first of all, that cumulative piece that we talked about. It's that, first of all, just knowing that actually as humans, this is not easy. 
we get a lot of people who say, look, I don't get stressed. And then the, uh, you know, the teammate would say, you just had a, you know, quadruple bypass yeah. or, you know, <laughs> so it's just actually recognizing, you know, the fact that we are all human and the impacts of this, the impacts of cumulative load, the impact of prolonged pressure. I think there's something nice to know around actually when people are experiencing this, it is normal. You know, it's it's a very human experience. It's not a reflection of people's capability, their professionalism, their intelligence, you know, any of those things, their their toughness. It's it's actually a very human reality. We all have our limit as to how many bricks we can carry for how long. And then the second piece being the potential to have growth on the other side. It's amazing to see, you know, the human spirit, what it is we can endure, what it is that we can learn and, and come out the other side with. The breakout comes to you from Abrachi Group. We offer coaching and consulting to help you dig into change. Here's what we know. Only about 10% of us are really self-aware, but 90% of us think we are. Without self-awareness, improvement is tough because if you don't know what box you're in, you can't break out of it. That's where we come in. We've got a soft spot for people itching to forge a fresh path, the high flyers who need to be nudged out of career ruts, Teams who are looking to become more aligned, and yes, even those bold souls who've occasionally worn the jerk badge. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. You know, you were attracted to crisis work early on. And so what is it specifically about crisis work that was so compelling for you? I mean, for me, I'm a nerd first and foremost. So I'm really, as I said, interested in the connection, stress and performance. And for, you know, many years after the earthquakes, I was my own social experiment. You know, so it is an intriguing space to be in, as I said, again, just seeing the human spirit conquer some some pretty amazing adversity, but also seeing these common patterns play out that there wasn't a lot of research about or support for. So I found, you know, I'm very curious and I found it a very interesting space. And I think for both Elizabeth and I, we were raised Um, Elizabeth was raised by a family of nurses, you know, through the generations. My father is a special needs teacher, you know, and in our family it was always around um, thinking about our social responsibility. And so I always knew that I would work in the caring profession of some some sort and type. And then combined with that, you know, I guess the scientific nerdy side of me, it was always going to be about people. So, (laughs) yeah. So for me, it's just the the, most amazing sort of nexus of all those all those things. What a lovely combination. And speaking of tools, you have something called Card for Calamity. So if you could talk a little bit about what that is and what are the results you've seen, um, it sounds fascinating. Yeah, the Cards for Calamity are very disaster specific. So again, you know, thinking about the cognitive science of how much information we can process and absorb when we're tired and under pressure, it's not a lot. So Elizabeth and I started writing a book. We wrote a book with all the things that we had learned through our research and our decades of working to support people through disasters and all the things that people find really useful to know and understand. And then I looked at her and said, 
you know, I can't believe it's taken me so long to, for the penny to drop as a cognitive scientist. No one has time or brain space to read a book and so, <laughs> in this kind of environment. So we, we pulled that book apart, you know, and, and disassembled it into Cards for Calamity. So again, bite-sized pieces of knowledge and information that people need to really guide themselves through the process of recovery after disaster. So it's giving people access to recovery experts and the insights from other communities who have been through something like they are experiencing experiencing. And so in Australia, you might remember when it felt like the whole country was on fire. So we, we partnered then with Australian Red Cross and distributed Cards for Calamity into every community affected by disaster to help empower them with the knowledge that they need to lead their own recovery. But probably the most useful card pack, I'm going to remember to say pack, or tool, <laughs> or tool for your listeners um, just beyond disaster might be the doing well. So the doing well is a set of methods that help prevent burnout and support well-being and performance under pressure. So um, it really sets our people up to minimise some of the harm that we would see and maximise the chance for people to do well and grow you know, as a result and also help bridge the gap between knowing that we need to look after ourselves and actually finding a method that is helpful and useful when the pressure's on. I think it's so beautiful that you're really meeting people where they need to be met because you're right. In a lot of cases, the desire to read a book is there, but is it really feasible? What does a card look like for someone who who doesn't necessarily know? So the Cards for Calamity have um, some insights when people have been through something similar. So it might be as a parent, like, here's the fear I had for my children through all of this. But now that I've come out the other end, I realise that they actually are more empathetic. They are more equipped to deal with life's bumps in the road. And actually, if I had known that, that all I needed to do was to be there, yes, be concerned, support and love them, get help for them if I think they need it. But actually, at the other end, they are likely to have some gifts from this that would have helped as a parent to know that, you know, so there's ones around dealing with the financial challenges of it, but also the life admin, those bricks that people are carrying. And the doing well, each of the themes speak to a specific challenge that we would see playing out. So one is around, um, we know from all the research and experience that the greatest resource that we have available to us to get through adversity and come out the other side in a good place is our social network. And yet what we tended to see with our team and even ourselves was when the pressure had been going on for a really long time and you're really fatigued, that you don't have time. You know, like if you've seen my to-do list, I can no longer, you know, catch up with my friends on a Friday night, nor do I have the energy. And the people People around you, when they can see you heading for a crash, you are not listening. You know, so the, the very thing that we most need when we're under pressure, we tend to lean away from. So those connect cards are a really fun way to set yourself up with a, with a crew, a couple of people that you really know and trust, have your back under pressure, and you pick a couple of the cards that you think are really useful to you when the pressure's on. And I might say, Kerry and Kelly, you've known me for a really long time. I know you have my back. You know, please take a card each and your job is to give this back to me when you see that I need it. And my job is to put it in place, even though I may not want to at that moment. You know, so that's the connect cards. And then there's one around decision making. You know, again, the cognitive science, but not being able to have our prefrontal cortex online when we're really under pressure, when we're making really critical decisions, means that we have the potential to create more stress in our lives making a bum decision. So the decision-making cards have a set of questions that people can test 
decisions against and feel a little bit more confident. So each set in the cards are really designed to address some of these challenges. It's a really nice way to, to help people get intentional because we've learned that hope's not a method with all of this. We, we intend to look after ourselves, but often it doesn't happen. And, you know, when we put on hold our health basics or when we put on hold the things we do to nurture our relationships or we put on hold the things that give us joy and energy in our lives um, and we often put those things on hold for a little while to redivert that energy to a challenge but when you do it for a long time that's when all of those really difficult and very sobering impacts that we saw from our research around burnout physical health parenting relationship breakdown became really prevalent the fun thing about the cards that is different from a book is the interaction that people can have with them. Yes. Right? And you see them dotted around, you know, in the corner of someone's laptop screen or in the back of their lanyard or in the, in the car in the windscreen. So people have them dotted around, but they also use them in a way. So it becomes a part of a, a common language and an approach that can be used um, to have conversations around well-being. It's, it's been fun to see some of these consequences or ways of using that we would not anticipated when moving from a book to a set of cards as actually there's some... Some beautiful things happen with cards and, and interaction between people. And it's something that is very tangible. I can do it without really requiring a lot of effort on my part. I, I love that. And part of our design challenge was to, to make sure it didn't feel like more work. Right, another brick that's based on some, some really important science and research, but it's fun. It's just got to be. We don't need more heaviness. I think that we're so in sync with her message. Disaster could mean an environmental disaster. It could be your home life disaster. It could be a divorce. I mean, all those things that we talk about here on The Breakout is what she's talking about as well. And just that, how do you get through it with the social networks and the just being graceful and giving yourself space and then coming out post-traumatic growth. I mean, that's all the stuff that we talk about, Kelly, and how exciting it is to when you come out of it, you're like, oh, thank goodness. And it's, you're so much better off. I like the terminology for one thing. And I just like, she's normalizing the language and she has a, re a reassuring nature about her. There's a kindness about her that you can just feel. And there's no judgment. You know, she's creating tools and resources that are just in time that give you the time and space to create an action that's meaningful for you the way that you want it. She's very upfront about, look, it's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. That normalizing, I think, is so helpful. It's what we're also trying to do as well, Kelly, just in our adorable, unscientific way. Yes. Our cute, swearing type of way, but which we didn't swear at all this episode. So I'm a little fucking disappointed about that, but okay. <laughs> So based on all of your learnings, in the most intensive times, what would your most brief words of wisdom be to someone who is in the middle of a crisis? I mean, first of all, that, that social connection we talked about, don't go it alone. And I think give yourself like the time and the space and the grace to really consider the assumptions that you've been holding about your ways of working that just aren't working anymore and to consider what might be emerging you know, and as hard as pain and painful as sometimes that might be, but give yourself the time and be open to the fact that some things may come from this that might be helpful to you in the future. 
how incredibly beautiful and insightful and in, in taking something that can truly be, you know, disaster, obviously, in, in the biggest sense of the word, and offering hope and optimism. For us, it's around having access to the things that we really wished we'd had, that we really needed, and we know that others need it, and, and feeling that moral obligation to pay forward and make available some of those hard-won learnings from people who've been through some, some pretty tough stuff. Well, thank you for all the work you're continuing to do. Thank you for everything you do. That was our conversation with Jolie Wills, cognitive scientist and co-founder of Hummingly. And this is The Breakout from Abracci Group. At Abracci Group, we specialize in coaching and consulting for brave new directions. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time. Thank you.